Our scripture reading this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, and it's uh, chapter 2, and it's verses 42 through 47, and this is the Common English Bible, so you can follow along on the screen. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, and to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day, they met together in the temple and they ate in their homes. They shared food with with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've had a few opportunities to uh, play uh, play music with the band up here, um, but I wanted to introduce, I haven't talked about my bass much. This is my bass, my baby. Um, and uh, I play bass for most of my life. I started in fifth grade, and I was um, really serious in high school and college. And when I was in high school, there was a bassist who came in. His name was Barry Green, and he came to my high school and gave a, um, a, a lesson with us all. And Barry Green had written this book called The Inner Game of Music. And now, The Inner Game of Music was based off of a previous book called The Inner Game of Tennis that came out in the 70s, and some of you may have read it before or heard about it before, but it's, um, it was, there were some really interesting um, insights of it. And I, I remember... I remember hearing about it in, in this presentation because um, there's some, a lot of similarities between tennis and music. And one of the biggest ones is unforced errors. Um, in, in tennis, there are a lot, you know, you don't want to avoid unforced errors. It happens all the time. In music, you also want to avoid an unforced error. And so, you know, playing like an accidental or, um, or like that, like a good noise like that. You know, nobody's really wanting to make this noise. Um, some, I guess some contemporary composers might, but, um, but in general, it's not, you're trying, trying to avoid those. And one of the things, the insights of, of these books is this kind of math equation that's very simple, and it's capital P equals lowercase p minus i. And so capital P is performance, lowercase p is potential, and i is um, interference. And so it's your potential minus your interference. And um, so you can... You know, if I, if I try to play a piece I don't know how to play or I'm not good enough for. So, all right. So I don't have the potential. <laughs> I, I used to have it up, but I don't have the potential to play that right now. So it's not really my, you know, I need to do the work ahead of time to get that. But if I have a piece that I've worked up really well, which I don't have any right now, so I'm not going to show that, um, and I make a mistake... Often in a performance, it's usually my own interference in the way. Like it's me getting in the way of myself. If I've, and that sometimes happens if you're, you know, if you're giving a presentation at work or doing other things, giving a presentation at school or other aspects on your golf game. Golf is another one where there's a lot of unforced errors that you can have um, a scratch golf game and go out there and bogey every hole because you're in your head the whole time. And this, this interference that gets in the way. One of the stories in, in the inner game of music talks about is Barry Green's daughter, who's a piano player, and how 
she loves to practice the most. Her best time to practice is in the middle of the day when she's wide awake, like after 10 to 2. Um, but her best time for performance is right when she wakes up, um, before she starts thinking about things and just goes right to the piano and plays for people. And that's when she plays the best because sometimes our mind gets in the way of what we're trying to do. Now, I think there's a fine line to make between properly thinking and overthinking, and especially when we're talking about like faith and church and life and things like that, that we don't want to underthink faith. We don't want to underthink our life. There are challenges that we can come across to the faith, and we don't want to underthink it and think like, oh, that's too hard for me to think about. It's good to, if you're asking a question, to seek an answer to that. And faith is not a performance or a recital, but there are aspects of a life of faith that relate with this idea of our potential and the interference we put in front of it. And that's where hope comes in. My friends, we are finishing our series on hope, on looking at how this theological virtue can guide us in this world. We started off by defining hope, defining hope as a, as a theological virtue in, in Christ and how hope is in Jesus and our future with God and bec- that future becoming present now. Finally, today, we're going to think about living our hope. What does it mean to live our hope? I think the best example of this is found in the in this section of the Bible that Doug read earlier from Acts chapter 2. This takes place right after Pentecost, right after the disciples are all up in the, the upper room and the, the Spirit descends upon them and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem and they preach and all of these people, their hearts are transformed by God. And then, and then they're just praying together and they're just sharing things together and they're sharing food together. They're living out their hope. They're living out their hope. Remember, hope is a hard word to define in specific and concrete ways. It's not just wishing for something to happen. It's not just generic optimism. Two weeks ago, I talked about the, the definition that Thomas Aquinas, the medieval theologian, gave to hope, that there are four conditions of hope, that it must be something good. You can't hope for something that's not good, that it's not hope. It must be in the future. You don't hope for something good in the present. That's called joy. You hope for something good in the future. It must be difficult to attain. You can't just hope that tomorrow I'm going to have breakfast. I mean, most of us, um, because it's not that difficult to attain. And then the fourth, it must be possible to attain. So you can't just hope tomorrow that you're going to fly across the lake. Um, that may be good and may be fun, but it's, I'm sorry, it's not going to, it's not going to happen without a plane. I mean, if you have a plane, it's a different thing. But um, <laughs> these are helpful to understand. These conditions are helpful, I think, but they're insufficient because ultimately our hope does not rest on our expert analysis of the situation, but on the living God made flesh in Jesus Christ. That is where our hope lies. And, and hope is not just an idea, but a way of life. Hope is not just about being consciously aware of grace and God's presence. The life of faith is not just this, this battle inside your head to try and protect your mind space from anything that would deviate from the norm. The life of faith, the life of hope is what we do after receiving grace and understanding grace, after realizing that you are already loved. You are already forgiven what we do after we acknowledge Christ's mercy towards us. And there's interference we can give to hope. There's interference 
that we can put in the way of our potential through the Holy Spirit, in the same way the interference given by a tennis player or a, a musician or a golf player. We can try and block what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. We can give excuses that, oh, I don't know, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not that loving. I'm not that forgiving. We often do that. One of the ways that this interference is called is sin. Is sin is the interference we put in between God and ourselves. This, the interference we put between God, our neighbors, and ourselves. Hope is not just an idea. It's even more than a person. It is a habit. It is something we can do. And we can turn hope into a habit. Something we don't have to consciously think about all the time. I mentioned a few Sundays ago how in the Gospels, hope is always a verb. It's always used in the, in the verb form when Jesus speaks of it. But starting in the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, they concretize the verb. They normalize it. Just, it is something we can understand because it becomes who Jesus is. His life is the hope for us. It is living in light of our hope in Christ. This is what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven is here. It's not far away. It's not far to the future or in a different place than this. We can live this day in Christ's kingdom by how we respond and habituate ourselves to God's hope, just like the disciples did in Acts 2. In Acts 2, the church is all together praying together. They don't do these things because everybody is already good at prayer. It's really important. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, they don't call all the most spiritually sensitive people or the best prayers to the church. There's a lot of people who've never prayed in their life who came at Pentecost and felt the Spirit. There's a lot of people who had never encountered God. God doesn't just call the qualified. God doesn't look around and say like, okay, here are the holiest people. I'm only going to call you. That's actually the opposite of the case most of the while. God qualifies the called. God calls you before you are ready to pray before you are ready to serve, before you are ready to give. You are not insufficient. Prayer is a habit. Prayer is something you can practice. Prayer is something you can get good at. Not that you are something that you're naturally gifted at, but something that you can practice, like riding a bicycle. Like riding a bicycle. You can be bad at it, inexperienced at it. You can be very uncomfortable. The first time you sit on a bicycle when you're a kid or when you're a grown-up learning to ride a bicycle, it's very uncomfortable. The, the bike seat, the whole apparatus, the, the trying to balance yourself. You can't just read a book about riding a bike and then know what to do. Like read the, read the bike book and then get on the bike and just cruise. That doesn't work at all. We, you know, last year... Uh, my wife and I bought a Vespa, and it was the first time we ever had ridden on a two-wheeled device, a motorized device. And uh, so we took motorcycle lessons to get our motorcycle license. And it was like, I couldn't have read a book to know how to drive a motorcycle. Like, I had to be able to sit on one and have someone who could laugh at me as I fell over um, and show me what to do. You have to practice it. You have to practice it. Prayer is also a relationship. Prayer is also a relationship. If you're like dating someone for the first time, if you go on your first date with someone, you don't know everything about them. You don't know what it is going to be like if you end up getting married. You don't know what it's going to like to be raising kids with them. You don't know what it's like in 50 years with them. 
You can't know all those things. You don't have the same inside jokes. You don't have the same mannerisms and understanding with each other. The first true times you pray, the first true times you encounter God are not the same as after 50 years of encountering God. Prayer is like falling in love, though. It is a habit. It is a practice. In the same way, if you don't take time with the people you love, it it is not great for the relationship. It It is a practice. It is a habit. Service, as well, is a habit. It is a habit of giving up your time. People aren't just naturally good at serving others. It is a practice. It is something you can also be bad at and you can get better at. When, when the disciples gathered everyone together at Pentecost, they didn't just gather the people who were great at serving. Um, they gathered people who hated serving, who hated giving, who hated sharing. If you've ever been down um, to Church Under the Bridge with, with the church or to um, different ministries, if, if you've ever been to Blueprint Ministries, um, you may have a different experience with, with serving. If you've ever been to a Partners in Hope work site, uh, you may have a different experience with serving. But if you haven't, the first encounter may be challenging. It may be awkward. It may not be the most comfortable thing that you've ever done in your life. That doesn't mean it's bad. It means God has more growth in store for you. God doesn't just set us apart and say like, okay, you're going to be the server and you're going to be the this person. God offers us all ways of encountering grace in, in amazing and surprising ways. And it's a, it's a practice. It's a habit. If we give up before we get started, if we give up after one bad encounter, it's like giving up riding a bicycle. It's like giving up driving a car. Like we're never going to experience that. Generosity is a habit. Generosity is a practice. Giving money to the church is a habit. It is something you get used to. It is not something that people naturally have. It's not something that people naturally have. This is, I know, is, is, been a, is a consistent challenge in a lot of churches um, today, especially churches with mostly young folks, is that a lot of young folks don't have the habit of generosity, the habit of tithing uh, that, uh, that, is, that is shared in this kind of way. It's not, it's not something you're just naturally, you wake up, it's like, oh, it's easy. I'm just going to write this check for 10% of my money. Here we go. Thank you, church. Thank you, God. Um, it's, it, is a, it is a practice of discernment. In, in the Gospels, when Jesus is at the temple and he watches the, the old woman who gives two cents, gives all that she has, that can only come because of a practice, of a disposition that she is not giving out of her abundance, she is giving out of her need, that she could have used that money for something else. She's different from, from the man who gives out of his wealth and his gift is something that doesn't affect him and whether or not he has that money, it means no sense. But it is a habit to her. It is a practice. It is an intentionality because of what God has done for her, that she is sharing all of what she has. Sharing itself is a habit. When you're a kid and your toys, when you're sharing your toys is not something that kids are naturally good at. Um, it's like, here's my best toy. I'm going to give it to you. It's like, so, you know, I think young teachers might, there's some kids who may be a little more easy with that. But a lot of times it's like, you, you know, it's mine. I want to play with this now. I don't want to give it to you. You have to practice that. Grown-ups don't like to share. Grown-ups don't like to share their car with a neighbor unless they really know what's going on. Um, they don't like to share the, you know, I think one of 
the reasons why my brother didn't want to get a truck at first, because once he had a truck, everybody wanted to borrow the truck <laughs> to move, especially at college. Oh, you got a truck? Great. I need to move a couch. It's like, you know, but it's not, you know, the reason why it's hard to share is you think about what are people going to do with my thing? Like they might not take care of it in the same way. You don't want to share your boat. What if the boat doesn't come back? It's hard. It's a practice. It's a dis- discipline to get into that space where you realize the relationship with the people in your lives is more important than the objects in your life. Because that's really what sharing is about. That's really what Acts 2 is about, is that the relationships of the people drawn together by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than their possessions, is greater than their time, is greater than all the other things they could have been doing. And in all this, hope is a practice. Hope is a disposition. We are not naturally hopeful as a people. Some people can be naturally optimistic, and that means, again, like optimism is it's all about yourself and what it's in who you are. But hope is about who God is. The hopeful person hopes because of God, because of who Jesus is. Now, this isn't to say that non-Christians don't hope, but that the hope, whoever has hope, it is a mark, it is a mark of God in their life, whether they realize it or not. God doesn't just work through the church. God is the Lord of all creation. All creation, not just the United States, all of creation, not just Texas, all of the universe. God is the Lord of all these spaces. God is the Lord of our schools as well. School is starting for our children, for our college students, for our teachers. The start of school is a transition in all our lives. And many of you don't have young kids at home, and you may not think it, but I mean, I would guarantee none of you are going to be driving on 620 at 4 p.m. during the school week, or else you're a crazy person. Um, Because when the high school lets out, it is an insane asylum on that road. Um, I would ask you to avoid it. But for those of us out of school, it's easy to pretend that learning has stopped that we are completed, that we are finished. When Christ calls us, when we encounter the risen Lord, God doesn't call us to stay in the same place. Sometimes we choose to stay in the same place. Sometimes we're, we're satisfied in ourselves. We're satisfied in where we are in life, but that is not coming from God. When God calls us, when we encounter the risen Lord, we're called to a life of holiness. And holiness is not a churchy term that just means like more potlucks and weird clothes. Holiness is about being set apart for God. In theological terms, we call it sanctification, being made more holy, being made more holy, being set apart more for love in this world. Growing in holiness, moving on to completion, moving on to be completed in who we were created to be. That's what the Greek word for perfection is. Is. It's like teleos. It's like, um, it means to be complete, to be fulfilled. Who doesn't want to be fulfilled? Who doesn't want to be satisfied? And with God, it's not being satisfied in, in yourself. It's being satisfied in who God is and what God's love has offered for you. That is what God calls us today. And the amazing thing is that same spirit that was present in Acts 2, that was present at Pentecost, that was present in the early Methodist movement is present for us this day. The Holy Spirit is here for us. We can be satisfied in who God is. We can grow in our faith. We can take away the interference that we have put in between our hearts and Jesus. 
We can act and we can grow in our prayer life. We can grow in our study of scripture. We can grow in fasting and service, in generosity, in giving. We can grow in worship. We can, we can grow in how we worship the Lord on Sunday morning. We can grow in holiness together. We can let go of the interference we put between our hearts and God. We can let go of the interference we put between our hearts and our neighbors. Letting, go, letting Christ become greater and our hearts growing into who we were created to be. Hope is a practice believing more in who Jesus is than in the brokenness around us. Believing more in who Jesus is than in ourselves. Believing more in who Jesus is than our desire for control. My brothers and sisters, this year, as you move forward, whether you go back to school or not, may you commit to growing in your faith. May you commit to letting go of the interference in your heart. May you commit to practicing hope, practicing faith, and practicing love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, giver of hope, may we rest in your hope this day, and may we act in your hope this day. Help us to not be stagnant in faith, but active in love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen.